back to a normal schedule. This morning we had um, our 8.30 service, and the last two, the last two Sundays we had uh, New Year's Day, and before that Christmas Day, so we had one combined 10.30 service. Uh, I know some of you have been out of town, and we've had people sick, but we had the 8.30, we had a, a great turnout for the 8.30 service. It was really a, a good group uh, this morning to kind of get back on schedule. So good to see all of you and those of you that are joining us online. This is the one service that we do stream, so we're glad to have those of you that are joining us uh, remotely, uh, those of you visiting. Uh, welcome to Calvary Chapel Richmond. Glad to have you here today. And uh, second Sunday of the new year, we've got uh, a lot of year to go, amen? Uh, but we are looking forward to what God is doing. Uh, we've got some exciting things to announce in the next couple of weeks. Um, some things God's doing in some of the ministry areas that we're very uh, glad uh, God is uh, raising people up, and we've got some things that we're really going to see God, I think, move uh, in a mighty way in, in various areas. We've got some things that we're going to be doing uh, pretty exciting to the property here this year, so we'll talk about some of those things in the coming weeks, and I think it'll enhance uh, and uh, make things uh, better in a, in a lot of different ways. Um, so we're, we're grateful that God has provided the means to do some of these. We'll talk about some of these things in the next couple of weeks. We're just kind of giving you a heads up. A couple other uh, just things to bring your attention. I know that we had that New Year's Day service next uh, uh, last week. Won't happen again until 2034 when we have a Sunday. It is actually New Year's Day and the first day of the year. But if you didn't get a chance to hear the message, it's out on our YouTube channel. Go to just go to uh, YouTube and ch type in Calvary Chapel RVA. And the message I shared last week, which is a topical one, if the Lord wills, kind of foundational to, I you know, hope that you'll remind yourself throughout the year as you're making plans and you're doing things. We were doing this even our own family devotions, talking to our daughters yesterday, like, you know, you, you come up with all these things you put on the calendar, but it really is if the Lord wills. Yeah, this is what we're, Lord, and, and some things are neither right nor wrong. God, I tell my own family, I said, some things were they're neither right nor wrong. God just says, choose one. You do. And he still reroutes you. you know, so that uh, be, be uh, open to God pivoting us and things like that uh, this coming year. So go back and uh, check that out if you didn't get a chance to hear it. Uh, I think it's really good for all of us. And then uh, we started our uh, month of January in prayer every Wednesday night. Even if you're traveling on business or you can't be with us, if you can join us remotely to pray. Uh, not, we don't have a dial-in for that, but just... I mean, in spirit, but uh, we'll be gathering here. We, we're fasting those Wednesdays. Um, it's a food fast. If you if you medically can't do that, obviously find other things. We're also uh, starting this past Wednesday. We began a three week social media fast. Uh, I'm not against social media. I have Instagram. I have Facebook. I like to use them for the Lord. I like to use them with uh, lost people that I've known over the years, family, friends, all that stuff. But uh, but I'm actually enjoying not being on them the next uh, three weeks. Uh, it's, I'm on day like four or something like that, and uh, it's just one less thing to do. And that, that kind of is nice. Uh, I'll go back to using it. I want to use it effectively uh, as a platform that you know that can be used for the Lord. But if you want to join us in that and take that time to just kind of say, all right, tell your friends and family, I'll be off for a few weeks, and just focus on other things, read more books. On Tuesdays, we're kind of a, a digital no-tech Tuesday, and skip the TV, skip the, net, skip the Netflix. You still got to use your phone to text people and work and all that. I'm not talking about email, all those things. But, uh, you know, that's kind of the general thought of it. And, you know, we've challenged people to kind of consider it. 
you know, it's one of these things that uh, it's going to be a little different for each person, but certainly consider that, and uh, we'll be fasting and praying each Wednesday night. This past Wednesday was a great night of prayer, and we really believe that God has us kind of take uh, these Wednesdays, not to teach and preach, but just to spend time in prayer, worship together, then pray. So uh, this Wednesday will be the second one coming up. And with that, we continue to pray for repentance in our country. Uh, revival, my wife actually got me a little book about revival from Selwyn Hughes, and I've been reading through it already, and he's talking about how revival is really for the church, it's not for the lost. Now, the lost need a resurrection. A revival, you actually have to have something already there to, for it to be revived, uh, which I thought some really good insights. Um, and that's the way I kind of view it anyway. I look at the nation needs an awakening, the church needs a revival, the nation needs repentance, although the church, repentance is for believers too, So, uh, but from the standpoint of salvation and resurrection, we're praying that people repent and turn to Christ and come to Christ, but that the church is revived, uh, that Jesus really is the center of everything we do. And that's not always the case uh, in the church. And, and even in this church, we want to see every single person uh, have that kind of revival that they really want to be a disciple of Christ, not just someone who just, oh, I, I like to listen to messages, but no, they know that Jesus is their Lord. We'll talk about some of these things, even our text today. And as we've been praying for one nation every week, uh, today we're praying for the nation of the Congo, the Congo Republic. And so you might not have got up thinking about the Congo, but God was thinking about the Congo today. And every other nation on earth he's thinking about today. When we're just thinking about just kind of Chesterfield County. He's thinking about the whole world. And so we'll be praying for the Congo this morning. And as we've been doing ever since the pandemic started, we've been praying for revival for over a decade, probably more like 12 years now. But if you're visiting with us or new here today, uh, we've been doing something that was kind of not so unusual in the old days in the church. They used to have the fold-down knee pads and people would get on their knees. Now we have this hard-as-a-rock floor. But if you're able to get on your knees for about 45 seconds of silence, if you have bad knees, if your doctor says it's not good for your blood pressure, whatever, then stay right seated where you are. There's nothing legalistic about this. But if you feel so led or able to, inclined to join us, we take about 45 seconds of silence to get on our knees. Then I'll pray, and then we'll get into John chapter 18. So if you're able to do that, let's go before the Lord and humble ourselves before the Lord. Our nation needs Him. We need Him. The Congo needs Him. Let's pray. Father, we once again, we humbly bow ourselves before you. You are a holy, mighty, and worthy God. Lord, someday we'll all fall at our feet. Every knee will bow. But Lord, we're doing it willingly now, and we'll do it rejoicing then. We're doing it in joy now, we'll do it in joy then. Lord, we bow before you because you've saved us. You've washed us. You've cleansed us. And Lord, even if we know you as Lord and Savior, we still need to be revived. 
We can't revive ourselves, but your spirit can. And Lord, we pray that you'd breathe afresh on Calvary Chapel Richmond. Every single person here, everyone watching online, you'd breathe afresh upon us. If we already know you, Lord, you just give us a deeper love for you, a deeper faith towards you, uh, a deeper dependence upon you. Those that don't know you, Lord, even in this room or maybe watching online, Lord, we pray that you'd bring a resurrection, Lord, that they would, their eyes would be open, that they would call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. We pray for our nation, Lord. Uh, it is in turmoil. Lord, just in the recent, whether it be uh, murders on college campuses or suicides of entire families, um, Lord, mass shootings. Uh, we see drugs and sexual immorality and so much, Lord, dependence upon material possessions and all of these things, Lord, the idols that we have made for ourselves in this country. And Lord, we pray that you would turn people from these worthless things and these destructive things, this broad road to destruction, to Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life. Lord, we pray that uh, you would bring an awakening to this nation, a revival in the body of Christ, a waking up of your church. We pray, Lord, for this in our country. We pray for the same in the Congo. We thank you for the believers that are there and the missionaries that are there and the, those that are there reaching that nation. We pray that they also would see a revival and awakening. We pray for our persecuted brothers and sisters all over the world, Lord, you deliver them, you release them, you would set them free and just restore them to families. We pray for one great harvest worldwide before you return. We ask all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you for praying with us. Has everybody's knees? All right. Uh, those of you who knew, I, I told, I've told our church before several years ago when I Man, I just, uh, I'll be 54 in like two weeks, and I know I look 34, thank you very much, but, um, <laughs> uh, no, I'm not, but uh, I don't, I understand that, but, um, but a, a few years ago, like, my knees felt way worse than they do now, and around the same time as Lord told me to start running again, uh, I thought, that will destroy my knees, it did not, and I started getting on my knees to pray more, I thought, that would be bad for me, it has not, it did the complete opposite, sometimes, and I'm not saying that that's the case for everybody, but sometimes God will do things that go completely counter to the way you think. And so just be open to that throughout the year. Uh, with that, turn, me to, turn with me to John chapter 18. John chapter 18. We'll pick up where we left off. It's been a couple of weeks since we've been in the book of John, three to be exact. But we'll pick it up with verse 28. We read through verse 27. If you're visiting or new uh, we've been going through the book of John. We have uh, less than four chapters left. This chapter to finish today, and then chapter 19 through 21. Starting in verse 28, Then they led Jesus from Caiaphas to the Praetorium, and it was early morning. But they themselves did not go into the Praetorium, lest they should be defiled, but that they might eat the Passover. Pilate then went, with, uh, went out to them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? They answered and said to him, If he were not an evildoer, we would not have delivered him to you. And Pilate said to them, You take him and judge him according to your law. Therefore the Jews said to him, It is not lawful for us to put anyone to death, that the saying of Jesus might be fulfilled, which he spoke, signifying by what death he would die. And Pilate entered the praetorium again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered him, Are you speaking for yourself about this, 
Or did others tell you this concerning me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and chief priests have delivered you to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I should not be delivered to the Jews, but now my kingdom is not from here. Pilate therefore said to them, Are you a king then? Jesus answered, You say rightly that I am a king. For this cause I was born and for this cause I have come into the world, that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Pilate said to him, What is truth? And he said, And, and when he had said this, he went out again to the Jews and said to them, I find no fault in him at all. But you have a custom that I should release someone at the Passover. Do you therefore want me to release to you the king of the Jews? Then they all cried again, saying, Not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. Let's pray. Father, we ask again for the ministry of your spirit, the help of your spirit. Lord, remove every distraction in this room. Lord, help us to be present here at your feet, at the feet of your word, at the feet of our Lord and Savior. Lord Jesus, let, let us hear from you. Let me hear from you. I've studied, I've prepared, and Lord, I still myself need something fresh from you, but we all do. I need your help and your anointing, for I could never do justice to the magnificence, magnificence of your word. And Lord, we pray that uh, you would do what's needed in each and every heart here today drawing those of us that know you closer. And if anyone doesn't know you today, it would be the day that they would know you as their king. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Pilate had no doubt heard of Jesus. The stories of his ministry, the stories of his miracles had gone all throughout the land. And it appears that some of Pilate's troops, some of his soldiers were actually used in the arrest of Jesus hours before in the Garden of Gethsemane. So he would have had to approve that. That's part of that symbiotic relationship between the Jewish leaders and the Roman leaders. They scratched each other's back. Keep political stability. But as Pilate begins to dialogue with Jesus, in these early morning hours, you have the rightful king of the tribe of Judah, who's being questioned examined by the Roman ruler over the land of Judea, formerly Judah. Now Jesus was born about seven miles to the south of Jerusalem in Bethlehem. And here he is 33 years later after his birth that we just celebrated in the Christmas season. He's in the city where his eyes were always fixed to be finishing his life. To willingly come to Jerusalem to die for the sins of of the world. We left off just before Christmas with Jesus being taken from the Garden of Gethsemane, first to the home of Annas, who was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, and then to Caiaphas, who was the high priest at that time. Jesus, remember, he did not defend his ministry or his message, but rather he appealed in that late night kangaroo court, if you will. He appealed to his accusers to ask any of those that were present about his doctrine or anything wrong he had done. But none of that was of interest to Caiaphas, was it? Or Annas. Caiaphas had long determined to charge Jesus with blasphemy. John records that in the middle of the night interrogations, 
at both the home of Annas and then the home of Caiaphas, that Peter had attempted, remember Peter attempted to stay close by. And on three different occasions, Peter was asked if he was with Jesus and if Peter was one of Jesus' disciples. And on all three occasions, you know what happened, Peter denied that he even knew who Jesus was. And according to Matthew's Gospel, Peter even began to curse and swear to ensure his denial was believed. So if you want to get people at work thinking you're not a Christian, just start cursing and swearing. That's a good reminder to us that people are watching what we say, right? And then as the rooster crowed, Jesus turned and looked directly at Peter. Jesus was dialed into every, but he turned and looked right at Peter. And Peter was so overcome with guilt that he went out and wept. He was ashamed. But immediately following that, it was now morning. And Jesus is now led away to Pilate. If you're taking notes, you see the title this morning. The King, His Kingdom, and His Truth. Everyone that heard Jesus speak had to wrestle with what he said. I've been saved since 1995, and I, I still wrestle with some of the things he said. Not that I don't believe them. It's how hard it is sometimes to apply it all. Amen? I don't wrestle with the truth of it. I know it's true. It's like, Lord, this is true. I am sometimes the problem, Lord. But everyone has to wrestle with what Jesus says. Some, like the rich young ruler, he wrestled with it but went away sad. He was certain that Jesus had given him the truth. He was certain that Jesus was the truth. But he couldn't give himself, he couldn't get himself to say, I'm willing to give up my possessions, my wealth, all the stuff I've acquired. Others, like the disciples, they dropped everything. Remember, they just dropped their nets. They're like, and follow right after Jesus. They were convinced he was their only hope for salvation. Now, when I finally came to Christ, and same, I would say with all of you that have been born again, you finally said, nothing else matters. I need to come to Jesus. They dropped everything. The scribes, the Pharisees, Caiaphas, the high priest, now their response to Jesus, they were infuriated by him. They wanted him dead. They didn't walk away sad. They didn't follow him. They wanted to kill him. And now it was Pilate's turn. He's new on the scene for us. Now it's Pilate's turn to hear Jesus for himself. He'd already heard of Jesus. Now he will hear Jesus. And Pilate might be thinking, who is this man from Nazareth? He twice cleared the temple by himself. Can you imagine going to like, uh, I don't know, uh, wherever the Redskins play these days. I know, not the, the commanders. Wherever they, you know, they go, wherever they play these days. I don't know the stadium. Imagine clearing it all by yourself. The temple was a massive structure. Thousands of people. Twice Jesus cleared it by himself. Pilate said, I've got to meet this guy. Pilate would have known that thousands were following Jesus. All around Galilee, Judea. He would have heard of the many miracles and healings, and even that he may raise Lazarus from the dead. He was known well beyond the Jordan, in other countries, outside. Supposedly he had healed multitudes. 
And then Pilate might have been wondering, why is he hated so much by Caiaphas? Now, Pilate knows Caiaphas like uh, the mayor of Richmond would know kind of the head of the city council. They would be peers. Why does Caiaphas and these religious leaders, why do they hate him so much? He's a Jew like they are. And then Pilate might be saying, is he really a threat to Rome? Is he really a threat to the Roman military? Look at verse 28. Then they led Jesus from Caiaphas to the praetorium, and it was early in the morning. They themselves did not go into the praetorium, lest they should be defiled, that they might eat the Passover. So they led Jesus. According to Matthew's gospel, Jesus was bound. So they had him tied up early in the morning from Caiaphas' home, which is a short walk in Jerusalem, over to the praetorium. The praetorium was known in the Roman times as whatever the headquarters was for a Roman leader. It could be if they had a military outpost and it was all tents, the Roman uh, leader's tent would be in the dead center of the camp. The praetorium was the headquarters. If it was a city, it was usually a palace. Depending on where it was, wherever the Roman ruler was, that was the praetorium. That was the headquarters. In established cities, it was almost always a palace uh, that, the, that the Roman ruler possessed. Now, Pilate, his regular headquarters, his regular seat of power was not in Jerusalem. Do you all know that? His regular seat of power was in Caesarea, which is up here on the Mediterranean coast. Those of you that went to Israel with us in 2019, we hope to go back in 2024. Uh, that's kind of the goal here. But I took that picture of Caesarea uh, I took a bunch of pictures of Caesarea, but that one's kind of uh, looking across a little sliver of the Mediterranean where the port would have been at the time. That used to be the port, and you can see some of the ancient ruins there. But Caesarea was up on about 60, 70 miles north, um, uh, northwest of Jerusalem, up there on the Mediterranean coast. That's where Pilate's headquarters were. That's where he lived. King Herod the Great had built the city of, and the city and the port of Caesarea uh, starting around 25 BC all the way up to about 13 BC. King Herod the Great had built Caesarea to build it and dedicate it to Caesar Augustus, hence the name Caesarea, which you can see Caesar's name is in the, t in the name of the city. So he had built it to honor Caesar Augustus. Herod had tremendous power, but Caesar Augustus was the emperor of the whole world. Remember, he was the one that had the census where Joseph and Mary had to go down to Bethlehem. So Herod wanted to be in the good favors of Caesar, so he dedicates things to him and things of the, you know, obviously this city, and that gave Herod more enhanced power because he was basically, um, you know, just taking good care of the boss, if you will. So he, but he had a lot of power himself, but he had built it years earlier. So the city by this time, you're talking Jesus is, you know, you're, you know, 28 AD or so, or 30 AD, somewhere in that uh, realm. So we're talking, you know, 50 some, perhaps as much as 60 years old is the city now. And that's where Pilate ruled from. But during the Jewish feast, when Jerusalem's population would swell, Passover being one of them, Feast of Booths, uh, whenever you would have millions or thousands uh, up to uh, Passover, it could have been well over a couple of million. Um, Jewish, the, the city of Jerusalem, the population would swell. And Pilate and all the governors that came before him and all the governors that came after him, during those Jewish feasts, they would move their seat headquarters from Caesarea 
down to Jerusalem. And in that time, for that season, they would stay there in case there was any uprisings, in case there was anything needed to be quelled. They'd bring extra troops during that time as well. Now, in Jerusalem, King Herod, that's where he, you know, that's what that, because he actually did choose Jerusalem to be his headquarters, where Pilate uh, was in Caesarea. Herod the Great had died long before. He had sons now. But uh, Herod had built a magnificent temple. Along, uh, along with the temple, he'd also built his own magnificent palace. And Jerusalem would have been the place that when, uh, or, or I should say, when uh, Pilate would go to Jerusalem, he would then leverage and use the palace that Herod had built, and that would be his headquarters. And hence, that would be the Praetorium. This palace that Herod had built would now be the Praetorium during the times that Pilate would come to Jerusalem. And this is likely where Jesus was bound and led to the palace, originally built by Herod, now used as the temporary headquarters whenever Pilate would come to Jerusalem. Now, as John states, it was very early, most likely around 6 a.m. We know the rooster had just crowed, and as soon as the rooster crowed, it's around the same time as the sun is coming up, and immediately Peter begins to weep and runs off, and then Jesus is taken over from Caiaphas' house to the Praetorium. Many Roman rulers, this is very common throughout the Roman Empire, they would begin their day very early in the morning, five, six in the morning, and they would then finish their business by 10 or 11 a.m., and they would be done with official business of the day. So that would be their, their work day. It was uh, very early, done around 10, 11 a.m. Some of you might say, hey, I'd like to do that tomorrow. I wonder if my boss will go for that. Uh, you can try it. Uh, you know, you're welcome to tell you, hey, it worked in Rome. Would it work here? That kind of thing. But um, it's a new year. You never know. They might, they might, they might just go for it. But uh, as they bring Jesus in, these religious leaders, they're full of hatred. They're full of murder. They're full of malice. John emphasizes that they stay outside of the palace or outside the praetorium so they're not defiled for Passover. Now, without getting into a debate about the chronology, was the Passover, did it already take place? Was the Passover the next day? Some scholars believe that when it says the Passover, it also is a seven-day week period, so it can also just keep the Passover, all meals within that seven-day period. Uh, I personally believe that Jesus... Um, led a Passover, which we call the Last Supper, just before the Passover, because he is the Passover. So uh, I believe it was like the night before. But again, there's a lot of debate about the chronology, and you can study that all you want. I don't have the time to get into all that detail here this morning. But at any rate, um, we know that John is highlighting, it seems to be he's highlighting the obvious irony and hypocrisy of their vain efforts to say, pure, we're not going to go into the praetorium. We're not going to go into the palace. We're not going to be defiled. Here they are. They're seething with this desire to murder not only an innocent man, but a man who has healed thousands and forgiven people and, and been merciful, and they have this desire to murder him, but they're going to stay outside so they stay clean for the Passover. Remember Jesus said, it's inside that you're full of dead men's bones. You look good on the outside. And here they were on the outside of the building. Verse 29, uh, Pilate then went out to them and said, what accusations do you bring against this man? And now, 
remember Pilate, some of his troops were used just hours earlier in the wee hours of the morning in the Garden of Gethsemane. Some of his, that was some of his detachment that was leveraged. And it seems that Pilate is somewhat aware of an effort on their part to bring Jesus to him, that he almost expects they're going to bring Jesus to him and they're going to have some kind of accusation and they're going to waste his time in some way, but he's going to go ahead and at least give them their opportunity because there is political favors handed back and forth on a regular basis between Pilate and the religious leaders. So, okay, you've got a guy that you want me to take a look at. I'll be ready. But Pilate, he knows their whole religious routine that they're not going to come inside because you're a dirty Gentile, so we're not coming in there. However he would have thought about it, he comes outside to them. He does not say, you've got to come in here. He goes ahead and lets them observe their religious practice. He goes outside the praetorium and speaks to them. But he does say to them, what is the accusation? I know that you guys, in his mind, I know you hate him. What's the accusation? What is it that he's done? Look at verse 30. And they answered and said to him, if, you, if he were not an evildoer, we would not have delivered him to you. Their indignant and evasive response, in essence, if we brought him here, he's guilty. That's all you need to know. If we brought him here, he's guilty, just rubber stamp it. Say he's guilty and condemn him to death. Basically is what they expected. But now Pilate, he was notoriously cruel. He had executed many people by crucifixion. Matter of fact, he was one of the most bloody of the, of the rulers. He was cruel. He was insensitive. We will talk more about that next week because Pilate is very much involved in chapter 19. So they reasoned in their minds, this is just my own surmising, they thought this is going to be easy. We bring him. Pilate, he's, he doesn't have a sensitive bone in his body. He'll just say, condemn him. But it doesn't go that way. Because Pilate is not prepared for who Jesus is. He's heard of him, but he's not met him face to face. Now, John doesn't record it, but they eventually do have to give Pilate an accusation. He's not going to entertain it until they give an accusation. And I put it up on the screen. This is what they come up with. They come up with something they think will appeal to Pilate. And they begin to accuse him, saying, we found this fellow perverting the nation and forbidding to pay taxes to Caesar saying that he himself is Christ, a king. You guys, a lot of you know your Bibles. Can you ever record a time, can you ever recall a time where Jesus told people, don't pay Caesar taxes? He said completely the opposite, didn't he? He said, render unto Caesar what belongs to Caesar and render unto the Lord what belongs to the Lord. So this was a complete fabrication and a lie to begin with. Now he did say he was the Christ, but he wasn't walking around saying, I'm king. He was the anointed. Now, we do know that the anointed would also sit on the throne of David, but Jesus did not explicitly go around saying, I'm the king, I'm the king. He said, the son of man, the son of man, the son of man. It was prophesied that he was the king. So they had a lot of fabrications and a lot of kind of twisting and everything that they had to say, but they thought that this would really appeal to Pilate. Hey, he's telling people not to pay taxes to you. We know that you won't care about the religious stuff because that's our thing, but you will care that he's... We'll come back to that. So in response to their initial shifty and outraged answer, here's Pilate's, this is the ping pong. He throws, the back, he throws it back to them, verse 31. And Pilate said to them, fine, you take him and judge him according to your law. 
He doesn't even pay any attention to the tax thing. He says, I know this is your religious stuff. Go judge him according to your own law. From the outset, Pilate seems reluctant to be involved with Jesus' condemnation. Reluctant. Kind of, uh, he's okay with a lot of trials, but he doesn't really want to be involved in this one. Though it appears he approved of the arrest, I don't know that he understood the full weight of everything that was going to happen so quickly. And you can see that if Jesus was any threat at all, Pilate wanted the Jewish leaders to take the blame for killing him. Because he said, you go take him and judge him according to your own law. The, 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 the other side of this is they want Pilate to take the blame for killing Jesus. Both sides are doing this. You kill No, you kill him. In both cases, they had the same group of people in mind. Remember early in the week, they were waving palm branches? This is thousands of people. Thousands, multitudes, waving palm branches. Hosanna. Blessed is the one who came, comes in the name of the Lord. Those crowds were in the minds of Pilate and the religious leaders. Both had the mass of people in their minds. It's the whole reason that Pilate's in Jerusalem in the first place. Why has he come from Caesarea down? In case there's an uprising. That's the whole reason. That's why he brings extra troops. Any political unrest. Now Mark and Luke both recorded that Caiaphas and the religious leaders' efforts to eliminate Jesus um, was done very carefully by them and very calculated by them to frame Jesus but not cause any uproar among the people. So they had to kind of back-channel this whole thing. Do it in the middle of the night, get him over to Pilate before everybody else is up and ready. Hold on yards. And here's one passage in Luke 22, verse 2. And the chief priests and the scribes sought how they might kill him, for they feared the people. Governments will try and oppress because they're always afraid, what if everyone realizes at the same time we're lying? That would never happen in our country, would it? No, of course not. What if all the people realized at the exact same time that we've been up to no good, that we framed an innocent man? So they have to think this thing through. Uh, Pilate sees their angle. He, he sees their angle the whole time. But they respond. Now they come back to him. He said, go ahead and judge him according to your own law. He knows that he would prefer them to go stone him, which was the Jewish form of execution. They say back. Therefore the Jews said to him, it is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. The bottom of verse 31. So they respond, it's unlawful for them to put anyone to death. Technically, technically that authority uh, for them... Now, you remember when Moses uh, is given the law, there is capital punishment given for certain crimes, right? So murder is not the same as robbery. Robbery doesn't mandate a that you're executed, but if you murder someone, a life for a life. So capital punishment under the law, a person that murdered someone could be stoned to death, and that condemnation could be given by the high priest. Guilty. Now, there had to be at least two witnesses, right? You had to have at least two, wit two to three witnesses. But they had that authority under the law. 
Technically, that authority from at least a political authority had been taken away from them by Rome. Rome had taken the authority. They could not technically execute someone. The reason why I say technically is it appears historically Josephus writes about this. The Roman leaders basically very often overlooked and allowed the Jewish leaders to still execute people, even though technically they weren't allowed to, but they were allowed to. Some of you might have worked at a job where you have, here's the job rules, and they say, here's how it's written, and here's actually what we do here. And whenever we have an audit, we do it the way it's written, but if there's not an audit, we do it like this. And Rome kind of operated that way, that so, you know, yeah, you, we took that authority away from you, and we could take it away anytime. But here Pilate clearly says, go judge him according to your own law, doesn't he? He says, go judge him according. He knows that stoning's part of that. Now we know as well, not too much later, comes Pentecost, and then the church is born. Then Stephen, they stone him on the spot. They don't worry a bit about Rome, do they? And they never get in trouble for it, because Rome overlooks... As long as the high priest is keeping the people in charge, control, they can stone somebody to death. But here they decide to go technically, you know we don't have that right. Pilate's probably thinking, you stoned like 12 people last week. You know, uh, what do you mean you don't have that right? I don't know what it may be, but at any rate, verse 32. That the saying of Jesus might be fulfilled, which he spoke signifying the death that he would die. Their insistence, their determined insistence that Pilate be the one to condemn Jesus would guarantee crucifixion and not stoning, which is exactly what Jesus prophesied. He said he would be crucified. Up on the screen, Matthew chapter 26 is the first one. Jesus' death had to be crucifixion. He could not be hung. He could not be poisoned to death. He could not be stoned to death. He could not be sawn in two like one of the prophets was, even though those are all horrific forms of death, and I don't think any of you want any of them. His death had to be crucifixion. He had to shed all of his blood. He had to be lifted up for all man to see. Matthew 26, 2, Jesus said specifically, I don't, and you and I don't understand how this went over the disciples' heads so many times, but it did. And if we'd have been them, it would have went over our heads. You know that after two days of the Passover, they should have known three days ago this was going to happen. You know that after two days of the Passover, the Son of Man will be delivered to be crucified. Jesus couldn't have been more clear. John 3.14 is, Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness. Even so, must the Son of Man be lifted up. All the way back to Psalm, David prophesied, the congregation of the wicked has enclosed me. They pierced my hands and feet. That is not a hanging. That is a crucifixion. That is not a stoning. That is a crucifixion. Piercing the hands and the feet with the spikes. And all the way back when Moses gave the law in Deuteronomy 21, verses 22 and 23, and he uh, is put to death, and you hang him on a tree. His body shall not remain overnight. Of course, Jesus' body will not remain overnight. It will be in the garden tomb before the sun sets. For he who is hanged upon a tree is accursed of God. And some scholars believe, and I actually uh, agree with this. I don't say I'm a scholar. I just happen to agree with it. Uh, that, that the Jewish leaders, Caiaphas and others, were well aware that if someone was hung on a tree, that they were accursed, um, like permanently accursed, and they felt, hey, if we get him to die on a tree, everyone will see that he's been accursed, and no one will have believed that they were ever following the Messiah. They would have followed a cursed man. 
But just like when Caiaphas inadvertently prophesied it is expedient that one man's death should atone for the uh, people, just like Jesus' death really did atone for all the sins, Caiaphas didn't mean it that way, but it was a good prophecy. And here again, if they really did intend that he's cursed on a tree, well, Jesus took the curse of all of sin and hell and all of our sins on the tree. Truly, all the curses of sin were upon him. So once again, even if they endeavored to do it for the wrong reasons, God works all things together for good. In this case, the eternal purposes. And yes, he's taken the cure of sin for us. Verse 33, Then Pilate entered the praetorium again, and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? So he leaves the conversation with them. They're still bound and determined that Pilate finds him guilty, and Pilate condemns him instead of them. He leaves there out, they're outside, still staying pure. He goes back inside to Jesus. He leaves their conniving contingent and goes back to Jesus. And the charge Luke recorded of him supposedly forbidding people to tax Caesar, which again was exactly opposite of what Jesus actually said, um, that they also said to Pilate, hey, he believes that he's a king and he's the Christ. And that's what Pilate zeroes in on. It's the whole king thing. Pilate doesn't even seem remotely interested or even remotely believes what they said about the taxation thing. He never says, hey, one of my big jobs in Rome is to collect a lot of taxes. Why have you been telling people not tax? Notice he doesn't say anything about the taxes. He doesn't buy that. He doesn't seem to believe that at all. But he does zero in on the king. He knows how dishonest these guys were because he was really dishonest. So uh, he's well acquainted with how they act. Uh, and he says to Jesus, are you the king of the Jews? Pilate knows the normal disposition of kings in that time. They were not gentle like Jesus. He had seen men that wanted to be king. He had seen men that had led uprisings. Jesus does not fit into any of the boxes that Pilate is used to seeing how kings act, both in Rome and the ancient world altogether. And look at Jesus' response in verse 34. Jesus answered him, Are you speaking for yourself about this? Or did others tell you this concerning me? Jesus knows everything. He probes Pilate as Pilate is probing him. Asking, are you asking for yourself? Or did others tell you this? Here's, a, here's something that God wants you to know. Jesus wants every single person on earth that has ever lived or ever will live to personally inquire of him. To personally inquire of him who he is, why he came, and what he can do for our souls, and what he only, he alone can do for our souls. Jesus, of course, knew exactly what the religious leaders had told Pilate. He could have read verbatim. He didn't need to be there. He could read their minds. But he gives Pilate the opportunity to know for himself and to know for certain who Jesus is if, and here's the big if, this is a big if, anyone you talk to this year about the Lord, if they're willing. Amen? If they're willing. Look at verse 35, Pilate's response. 
Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation, the chief priest, delivered you to me. What have you done? Am I a Jew is the way, uh, that's not a compliment, by the way, when Pilate says that. It would be the way the Jews say, Am I a Samaritan? Romans look down on Jews, Jews look down on Samaritans. Everyone's equal. God loves Jewish people, Gentile people, Samaritan people, Muslim people, Christian people, Hindu people. He loves everyone the same. They all have to come to Christ for salvation. But people think they're better than other people. Uh, that's something we come out. It's part of the sin nature. But that's not how God looks. He looks at the world equally. Everyone is the same. But Pilate says, am I a Jew? Your own people. The one, your, your, your tribe gave you up. Like so many people that I've met and talked to about the Lord over the years since I came to Christ in 95, I've had a chance to witness a lot of people. I spent 16 years in corporate America. I got a chance to witness a lot. I had great discussions with people about the Lord and what it really means to be saved, what the scriptures actually say, and the soul that you were born with. All, had lots of discussions about Jesus. I still continue. I hope I have a lot more of them this year, not just in this building, but outside of this building. And what I've noticed in conversations with many people, Pilate's in a quandary of just how much he really wants to know. You ever find that with people? You're talking about the Lord, you can tell that they only want to know this much. They're ready to get out of the conversation about four minutes in. They've heard enough. He immediately recognizes, Pilate recognizes Jesus is not a criminal. He's not evil. He's not dangerous. He's not a threat to Rome. And I think Pilate already sees, beyond all that, Pilate sees this is an honorable man. He's just honorable. This is a good man. And I don't know why I am here in this moment. But in Pilate's pride and his deep-seated fear of losing all that he's acquired in life, and he's, got, he's reached the top at least in, in the Roman world, other than the emperor himself in Rome, this is a big, he, he's got a whole region that he has come in control of. And he sharply responds to Jesus. But he doesn't directly answer what Jesus says. Jesus said, are you asking for yourself? He says, am I a Jew? He doesn't really answer the question. Instead, Pilate changes to are you a king and what have you done in the next verse. Look at verse 36. I'm sorry, that's in verse 35. Um, still verse 35. What are you king what have you done? Um, it's less personal. It creates some distance. Instead of are you the king of the Jews, he switches to what have you done? Creates a little space. Verse 36, Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I should not be delivered from the Jews, or to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. Jesus knows Pilate's original question was legitimate, that it was genuine, that it was curious. Jesus ignores the what have you done but goes back to the nature of him being a king and his kingdom. Jesus outlines what he's not done. 
Namely, Jesus did not try and raise up an army. Jesus did not try and convince a bunch of people to take up spears and swords. Matter of fact, when Peter picked up a sword, Jesus put the ear back on and said, put your sword away, right? So quite the opposite. He wasn't trying to build a current kingdom because his kingdom is of a different nature altogether. So he doesn't talk about what he's done. He's talked about, hey, here's what I've not done. I've not tried to get my servants to fight for me. Why? Because my, my kingdom is not from here. It's totally different. You see, the rule of Jesus' coming is first, he is going to come and rule and reign someday. I plan on being with him for that thousand-year reign. How about you? I, I plan on being there at some low level, you know, whatever. But I plan on being on the right team. But his first coming was about redemption. The second coming will be about rule. Does that make sense? Redemption, then rule. In Jesus' first coming, he came to forgive. In his second coming, he's going to come to fight. Say, really? Does it say that? Yeah. For those people that don't know about Jesus' second coming, he comes like a lion. The first time he came as a lamb. The second time he returned, look at Revelation 2.16, repent or else I will come quickly and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. He doesn't need to call 10,000 angels or he can do it himself. The sword of his mouth, Revelation 19.15, this is when he comes and slays the armies in the battle of Armageddon. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword that he should strike the nations and he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress, the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. So yes, Jesus will come with a power that will make any Roman ruler look like dirt. But his kingdom is not from here. He has different goals and a different timeline according to the plan of God. And the kingdom has barely been revealed at this time, right? It's just barely kind of peeking through. He hasn't even raised from the dead yet. Verse 37, so Pilate answered him. They go back and forth. Pilate says, are you a king then? You just talked about this kingdom and you're not from here. I don't know where you're from or what you're talking about. So are you a king? Notice that Pilate doesn't know what to make of Jesus. He does not say, so do you think you're a king? He says, are you a king? Isn't that interesting? If you were talking to someone you know has no clue what they're talking about, and you know that they are kind of, uh, I don't know, just completely delusional, you might say, so you think you're a king, huh? You would kind of patronize, but he doesn't say it. He says, so are you a king? Pilate knows, I see authority in you. I see royalty in you. So are you a king? It rings genuine to Pilate, and he doesn't understand why it rings genuine. You ever have meet people that don't ring genuine to you? Yeah. I mean, if you have the Holy Spirit, you have an extra radar for that. It's really helpful in life. But he says something rings true. And there's just, not only is there power in the name of Jesus, which is why I emphasize frequently that people don't use Muhammad or Buddha's name for their curse words. They use Jesus. Because Jesus' name has power. Now, if his name has power, imagine his presence. Pilate is experiencing the presence and power of Jesus, but he doesn't know what to make of it. He knows he's a king, but he can't figure it out. There's power in the presence and witness. Jesus said, I've come to testify. 
Jesus affirms Pilate's question and statement. And he says, in the rest of uh, verse 37 there, Yes, you rightly say that I am a king. For this cause I was born, and for this cause I have come to this world, that I should bear witness or to testify to the truth. Everyone who hears the truth hears my voice. Jesus was born for a cause. And the cause was to turn people from the lie that began in the garden and brought the curse of sin and death and hell to the truth that can save them from the curse. Amen? That's the cause. He came to take care of the curse with a cure. That was his whole cause. It wasn't to come and set up his throne. That will come later. First redemption, then rule. And none other than the very witness and truth of Jesus himself is standing before Pilate. When Jesus says, I bear witness to the truth, Jesus already is the way, the truth, and the life. So the very truth is standing in front of him. What's Pilate's response to all this? Verse 38, Pilate responds, what is truth? <laughs> and when he had said this, he went out again to the Jews and said, I find no fault in him. Pilate was so used to lies and dishonesty it's not like our government, which is really honest with us all the time, you know. But and and in the wrong, that's the general nature of mankind. It's flawed humans are very dishonest, and all throughout history, governments. It's hard to find ones that are honest. But Jesus is stand, he's he's truth personified, and Pilate was used to the lie, the dishonesty of the Roman Senate, and his own lies, and the political leaders, and the Jewish leaders. Uh, his own lies, in his own life, he cynically tried to convince himself in the moment here. So he's looking at Jesus, looking at Jesus' face. He tries to convince himself that there's no such thing as truth. Now, science alone tells us there's such thing as truth. I'll give you an example. If it's 32 degrees and you have a cup of water, guess what it can do? Guess what it will do if it stays 32 Every time. It won't do it at 33. It won't do it at 34. It won't do it at 32 and a half. It has to be 32 degrees. Why? Because it's an absolute truth. They say, well, I bet it can do it at 33 if I'm in England. Nope. I, what if I'm Madagascar? Nope. Everywhere it's 32. It's an absolute truth. doesn't matter where you're on planet Earth. Ice becomes ice at 32 degrees or less. So it's absolute there really is. People try and convince themselves. Why do they want to say, why does Pilate want to say, what is truth? Because if there's no truth, you can do whatever you want. But if there is a truth, ah, where does it come from? It comes from the hand of God. And Jesus has come from the hand of God. But when you have the truth standing right in front of you, but you're not ready to come to the truth, and Pilate wasn't ready, what happens? You walk away. You ever talk to someone you can tell that, man, they're close. They're get, I, I, I almost ready to even come to church or maybe even get saved at the moment. And then at the last second, they back away. Slide away. Pilate walks out. He's convicted. He's torn like the rich young ruler. So he decides to help Jesus. He can't, I can't come to him, won't come to him, but I think I'll help him. He says, when he goes back outside, I find no fault in him at all. Not even a trace. No fault. You guys need to kind of let this whole thing go. It's basically what he's saying. Verse 39 and 40. How, do the, how, how does Caiaphas and his contingent take this? 
He says, oh, then he comes out. As Pilate goes back out, he remembers, oh, yeah, they have a custom. And it's only at Passover. And it's Passover right now. We release one prisoner only at Passover. This is my ticket out. This is the time that we release Passover. How about I release to you, King of the Jews? They say, absolutely not. We want Barabbas. They immediately reject and ask for a notorious and violent criminal named Barabbas. Now their hearts, the, the religious leaders, Caiaphas and the, the Sanhedrin, their hearts were already hard as a stone, with the exception of Nicodemus, uh, at least we, that we know of. But where's Pilate going to land? G. Campbell Morgan, who preached for years in London, said, it is quite evident that Pilate would have preferred to release Jesus. It is. Uh, this might have been the only time in Pilate's life that he ever preferred to release anyone. And he appears by everything, but the writers of the gospel, they all see it the same. Pilate was conflicted greatly, and if he could get a, find a way out of it, he would. He ends up washing his hands, as you guys know. But he doesn't release Jesus. And we'll see next week. Sadly, for his case, he does not release Jesus. He chooses the wrong kingdom. Pilate will end up choosing the wrong kingdom. And so many people right now in 2022 are choosing the wrong kingdom. Amen? So many people are choosing the wrong kingdom. America is not your savior. People are choosing the wrong kingdom today. We'll see next week more on Pilate, but what about us? Is Jesus your king? Say, I've been born again. I, okay, great. If you've been born again, is he your king? Or are you still sitting on the throne? Have you really surrendered him as Lord? Or is he just like, well, he's about fourth place on my list. Are you serving him? Are you walking in his truth? That's one thing. You have come to the truth, but are you walking in the truth? Walking in the truth. Living in the truth. That's what we have to ask ourselves. Jesus did not come just to be king, but to be your king, my king, your savior, my savior. But if he really is our king, we are then by de definition his servants. Amen? And it, my prayer for us in 2023 is that we truly serve him as servants would serve a king. Amen? And if you don't know him as your savior first, because you can't be your king unless he's your savior. I mean, every knee is going to bow before him someday, but at that point it's too late. But anyone here that said, I've never really come to him first as the lamb, you've got to do that. You know, Pilate, you know, I don't know um, why this is always the case, but uh, and I shouldn't say it's always the case. I know in my case, uh, I'll bring it to a close with this. Um, Pilate, we're going to see next week in chapter 19, Pilate is going to have more face-to-face -face discussions with Jesus. He's going to send Jesus off. It's not recording John. He's going to send him off to Herod. See if Herod can take care of this whole thing. After all, Jesus grew up in Galilee. Herod's in charge of Galilee. Maybe Herod, but Herod doesn't want the hot potato thing either, and he sends him back. But then Pilate still has his own interactions with Jesus and he's got to come to a decision. I know in my life, I had plenty of times where I was face to face with the truth of Jesus and I kept walking out the door until finally in June of 1995, I did not walk out the door. I was convinced I, if I walk out the door, I don't know if I'll ever get this chance again. 
And I gave my life to Christ. My wife and I did on the same day. Peter had already given his life to Christ, and at this time is feeling miserable because he's denied Jesus. At the same time all this is happening, Peter's crying his eyes out like, I might have lost my salvation. He did not. Jesus is going to re-put him on the right track. So, everyone in this room, you're either like John, you're still on the right track. John's like writing all this down. Some scholars even believe John actually enters the praetorium because John doesn't work. He's not tied by this political nonsense, uh, fake purity stuff. John may have been the one in there eyewitnessing all of this. John's still on the right track. Peter's going to be restored just a few days later. And Pilate is in no man's land trying to figure out what he wants to do. So my point is that God gives us these face-to-face opportunities for the truth. The question is, even if you've already come to the truth, are you going to say like Peter, Lord, fix me, I messed up badly and restore Or are you going to be like Pilate and just walk out and keep walking out? Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you again for the truth of your word. Lord, that something that happened 2,000 years ago in Jerusalem is still reverberating here this morning. Lord, we pray that uh, you would speak to each heart as only you can as you spoke personally to Pilate, you'd speak to each person. As you drew John personally to you and and you would personally tell Peter, I've prayed for you that your faith would not fail. And Lord, all of us in this room have failed. There's times where we have uh, gotten back on the throne. Even though we've been saved, we've been born again, we still pick up the reins. And Lord, we would ask that you would forgive us for that. And Lord, we want to be completely yielded to you. And Lord, if there's anyone here today that doesn't know you as their Lord and Savior, that they would not walk out of this building or out of the presence of the truth of Christ, but instead yield and say, Lord, be my Lord and Savior. Before we close in worship, I just want to ask if there's anyone in this room that maybe you you feel like, Pilate, you've been back and forth, not just today, but maybe for years or weeks and uh, wondering when... what am I going to do? Am I going to give my life to Christ or am I just going to sit from a distance? Or am I going to come and ask him to cleanse me and forget? Raise your hand. I want to pray with you. If there's anyone here that says, I want to give my life to Jesus today. I want to be saved. I want to be born again. I want to receive the redemption that Jesus came to offer. I don't want to take for granted that everyone here is already ready to meet him for eternity. Is anyone at all? I just want to appeal to that. When this service ends, I will have some folks up here in the prayer corner, which is over in the uh, corner to my right, uh, if you need prayer for anything. But I want to just invite anyone that needs that or desires that, we want to have that available to you. Why don't you stand as we close in worship?